0: An uneasy feeling that you are not alone. Don't worry. It's just a ghost, ghost. A shout out to Tia Mayhem and Tanya Venom of Stormstress for providing the incredible intro music for this podcast. Welcome to It's Just a Ghost. I am your host, Mary Jensen. I am thrilled to share some of the stories from one of my favorite writers of all time. Leslie Rule is an American novelist, paranormal non-fiction author, magazine writer, photographer, and the daughter of true crime author Anne Rule. She is the best-selling author of two suspense novels and four non-fiction books on ghosts. And her very first true crime novel is due out tomorrow. She has also published dozens of articles in national magazines, including a November two thousand five article on ghosts and murder in Reader's Digest. Leslie grew up in a family of writers in a creaky old house on a windy cliff, which overlooked Puget Sound. My mother, Anne Rule, made it no secret that our house was haunted. Says Leslie, she loved to tell company about the ghosts that shared our home. When I was a little girl, I thought everyone lived in a haunted house. In this episode, I will be reading a few stories with special permission from Leslie Rule, from her four nonfiction. Yes, these stories are true books on ghosts. Also, I will talk a little about her two suspense novels, as well as her first true crime book that will be out tomorrow, April 28th, 2020. All her books are available on Amazon. Then, this coming fall, I will be talking with Leslie about her career, her personal ghost stories, and so much more. And I am so excited for this interview, I cannot wait. And that episode will be out late fall. Early winter of this year. Leslie Rule writes us in Coast to Coast Ghosts, True Stories of Hauntings Across America. Copyright 2001 by Leslie Rule. All rights reserved. I am Ghost. I am, ghost. I am in the shadow, that, shadow that creeps, creeps across, across your wall, wall. And, in and in the fingers of the fingers wind of as the wind it as as tangles it up your hair. hair. I am in the, am corner, in the corner of, the, of the, eye the eye of the stranger, the stranger lurking, lurking by. by. I am Ghost. I am ghost. I am in I the, am the shriek in the that shatters, that shatters your, sleep. your sleep, and in the dance, the of, the dance of the branches of the dying autumn, autumn trees. Sleeps. I am in the, am the, silence, in the silence and in the shouting, and too. too. I am ghost. I am in the tears, the tears weeping tears on your, your window. window, and reflected in, in the, the, the puddle in a field between the ripples. ripples. I am in the am loneliness in as she reaches for the foam, and in the empty, in the empty house, house that aches for a family who will never return. I am ghost. I am in the echo echo of hollow laughter gone, I am in the rip in the wallpaper, in the the old patterns patterns peeking through, and in the yellowed yellowed newspapers stacked up in the hall, I am ghost. I am in the invitation forgotten in the drawer, and in the legs of the spider who lives beside the light, I am in the rusty ring on the claw-footed tub, I am ghost. Here are two stories from Ghosts Among Us, two stories of spirit encounters. Copyright 2004 by Leslie Rule, all rights reserved. From Chapter 7, Ghostly Letters, Dangerous Games. Twelve years ago, my husband and I moved into half of an old Victorian duplex in Cleveland Heights, Ohio. From the beginning, the place gave me the creeps. Doors would inexplicably open and close and footsteps echoed in the empty hallways. I'd also experience rushes of cold air. My engineer husband would always have some logical explanation for the occurrences. Many mornings when I was alone and my husband had gone to work, I would clearly hear, Edith, Edith, in a plaintive childlike voice. It frightened me so much that I started to leave the house several hours early so as not to be alone. On Halloween, nobody came to our house. We were baffled as we watched the children cross the street to avoid our home. Finally, I did some research and found a magazine and a newspaper article reporting on a death from 12 years before. A woman named Marion Walls plunged to her death from the attic of our house. Her husband told the police that she had been hanging curtains when the accident occurred. Yet she had been naked and her ankles and wrists were bound. The paperboy and neighbors had come forward to report that Mr. and Mrs. Walls played strange games and that they had seen her dangling from the attic window before. Until the accident, Mr. Walls had always managed to rescue her by pulling her into the window from the floor below. I checked and saw that there were indeed dents on the window sill apparently made by rope burns. Browsing the old obituaries, I found that the viewing of Marion's body was held in the parlor of our house and was hosted by her sister, Edith. There were many incidents during our year in that house and even my straight-laced, black-and-white engineer husband came to believe that Marion's ghost was there. When we moved out, I told the landlord about it and he said, oh, my wife divorced me after we moved here. She always got the creeps in that house. Prior to our moving out, the man in the other half of the duplex made an annoyed comment to my husband about all the racket last night. We'd heard it too and assumed it was them having a party. He also mentioned hearing people running up and down the stairs, which we had heard as well. Needless to say, we were pleased to get out of there. Also from Chapter 7, Old Woman. My husband and I went to a restaurant in Canada called Ed's. It is about a 100-year-old house that has now turned into a very famous Calgary landmark restaurant. Something very strange happened to me while I was heading up the stairs to the washroom. On my way up, I found myself behind an old lady who appeared to be in her 80s. She was moving very slowly. Her gnarled hand grasped the handrail as she inched her way up. I did not want her to feel rushed, so I stayed a couple of stair steps behind her. She finally made it to the top, and we both headed for the washroom. I reached in front of her to open the door, and she entered before me. She never turned to look at me at any time. The old woman ambled into the first stall as I went to the mirror to put on my lipstick. I washed my hands fixed my hair, and applied more lipstick. Then I realized that there was no noises coming from the stall the old lady had entered. Worried, I pretended to fix my boot and peeked under the stall to see if she was okay. No one was there. I opened the door to the stall and was stunned to find it empty. I could not have missed seeing her leave. I quickly left the washroom and found three waitresses folding napkins. I asked them if they had seen the old lady. None of them had, so I rushed downstairs and asked the hostess if she knew where the old lady had gone. The hostess had not seen the woman, but she had a knowing look in her eyes. The place was haunted, she told me, and explained that many odd things happened there. I always thought that a ghost would be transparent and that I would be really freaked out if I ever saw one. If this truly was a ghost, she seemed to be unaware of the people around her. She was able to touch things and not go through them. I believe I saw a ghost and consequently am no longer afraid of them. These next couple of stories are from Ghost in the Mirror, Real Cases of Spirit Encounters. Copyright 2008 by Leslie Rule. All rights reserved. From Chapter 6, Ghost in the Window. Peering Spinster folks are sometimes startled by a pale face peering from the window of one of the most famous houses in massachusetts the house of the seven gables in salem is thought by many to be the inspiration for nathaniel hawthorne's novel the house of seven gables the spooky black house with craggy trees poking up around it is the oldest surviving wooden mansion in new england The house, built in 1668, was once home of Hawthorne's spinster cousin, Susanna Ingersoll. Many believe it is her ghost who rattles about the house, which is now a museum, and watches from an upstairs window. And this is from Chapter 9, Home Sweet Haunted Home. Letters from Haunted Homes Leslie writes, My files are filled with letters from people who share their homes with ghosts. Some write to me for advice, others for reassurance that they are not crazy, and some just need to tell someone. I am surprised by the number of people who feel that they have to convince me that they are sane before before recounting their paranormal experiences. They are often embarrassed to admit to their encounters and fear others will question their sanity. I grew up in a haunted house, I tell them, emphasizing that I have heard many ghost stories from credible people and that I, too, believe in ghosts. In fact, it shocks me that so many people do not believe in ghosts. When I was a little girl, I figured that every home had a ghost just just as it had a refrigerator. When I hear someone say that they don't believe in ghosts, it sounds as ludicrous to me as if they had said that they don't believe in refrigerators. One lady prefaced her letter with the following, I am a professional, functional, mentally well-stable person, but I believe in ghosts. She went on to say that she works in law enforcement and then shared the following. When my sister and I were growing up, unusual things occurred in our home. When I was a small child, I saw a shadowy shape in our garage. I thought it was a bear. The hallway of our home was built over the old footpath on the land between my grandmother's and my great-grandmother's homes. My grandmother had acquired the land between the two houses and built our house there. My sister often told us that she saw the ghost of a man in our house, and once she saw him walking down the hallways carrying a rope-handled bucket. The man looked like my great-grandfather. My mother was his favorite grandchild, and he had regularly walked the path between the two homes, the area that the hallway now occupies. Sometimes when I plugged my radio into an outlet in the hall, I would discover that it was turning itself on. My sister and I saw a heavy conch shell slide across the floor, and once in the kitchen, I saw a fork fly up and out of the drain board and into the sink. The haunting she described makes perfect sense to me, said Leslie. Ghost researchers often note that apparitions are seen traveling a path that their live counterparts once walked in life. This next story is from When the Ghost Screams, True Stories of Victims Who Haunt. Copyright 2006 by Leslie Rule. All rights reserved. From Chapter 9, Accidents Happen. Help me! no one knows the nooks and crannies of the dundas district public school better than the custodians built in 1929 the hamilton ontario school is spick and span thanks to the hard working staff and a ghost or two in the 1950s five caretakers made a pact whoever was the first to die would return to haunt the others Russell, the custodian who suggested the pact, was a perfectionist in charge of the third floor. He kept it spotless. He eventually died and has apparently kept his word. An employee who started work long after Russell's demise was assigned the third floor. One night, he got his bucket of soapy water ready and then decided to go to supper. He returned to find that the floor had been washed. Russell did it! his fellow employees insisted the same employee also saw the apparition of a tall man with a big smile he appeared on the third floor accompanied by the sound of jingling keys it was most likely the ghost of russell but what about the others who are the five spirits seen on the back stairs and who paces endlessly during the night most disturbing who is the old woman Two custodians were preparing to leave one evening when they were chilled to the bone at the sound of an old woman's voice calling from the top of the staircase. Help me, the voice cried. It is one thing to have the spirit of a helpful cleaner in your midst. It is another when it is a mysterious old woman calling pitifully. Perhaps she was a victim of the 1934 train wreck, The dead victims, locals say, were brought to the school, which was turned into a makeshift morgue. The Christmas Day excursion train was filled with folks celebrating the joy of the season. 397 passengers were returning to Toronto when the train was signaled to go onto a side rail so that another train could pass in Dundas. The Maple Leaf, a Chicago to Montreal train, roared full speed into town. Its signal was green, an indication that the tracks were clear. Unfortunately, something went wrong with the switch, and the maple leaf torpedoed into the back of the excursion train. It telescoped into the last two wooden cars filled with people, killing most of them instantly. At the horrendous sound of the crash, Dundas residents came running to help. They went to action, pulling the injured from the train and ferrying them back to the hospital but work was slow because of the darkness. The Christmas presents strewn about the track were a grim reminder of what that day was supposed to be. Rescuers tried not to think of the children who would never get to play with the toys that littered the ground. The next day, newspapers' headlines screamed that 15 were dead, 13 were passengers, and two were porters, all from the excursion train. Everyone aboard the Maple Leaf survived. The accident was near the Dundas School, and its basement was quickly utilized as a morgue. If time stands still for the dead, do those who wander the school think it is still Christmas Day, 1934? I'd like to send out a huge thank you to Leslie Rule for giving me permission to read these stories on my podcast. Thank you so much, Leslie. If you enjoyed these nonfiction ghost stories, be sure to check out Leslie's four ghost books. They are jam-packed with many more true scary encounters. Here is a synopsis from Leslie's 1995 fiction suspense novel, Whispers from the Grave. When Jenna discovers a diary of a girl who was murdered over 100 years ago, she is startled by how much they have in common. Rita looked like her, acted like her, and faced the trials of high school while experiencing the thrill of first love. As Jenna reads of Rita's tragic past, she fears for her own future because Rita's history is repeating itself in Jenna's life. Kill Me Again is Leslie's suspense, metaphysical, fiction, mystery novel published in 1996. Realizing that she is living the life of another person in her dreams, Alexis comes to understand that she has somehow come back to life after being killed and fears that someone is out to murder her a second time. From 2011, Where Angels Tread, Real Stories of Miracles and Angelic Interventions where Angels Tread presents startling cases of angelic interventions carefully documented through research and interviews and accompanied by 30 black and white photographs of the subjects. In addition to enjoying tightly written yet detailed stories, loyal readers will be pleased to see Rules trademark in the news sidebar articles where actual new accounts of angels and miracles are spotlighted from the case of an elderly woman pushed from a burning house by angelic hands to the story of a four-year-old pedaling straight into the path of a speeding truck only to be stopped by an angel. Where Angels Tread presents phenomenal cases of divine intervention. Twelve chapters are divided by themes, including Animal Miracles, Christmas Miracles, and Angels on the Road. An enticing forward by best-selling author Anne Rule will whet readers' appetite when she confides that an angel once saved her life. And now, Leslie's latest novel and her very first true crime publication, the synopsis from A Tangled Web, A Cyberstalker, A Deadly Obsession, and The Twisting Path to Justice, coming out tomorrow, April 28, 2020. It was a bleak November in 2012 when Carrie Lee Favre vanished from Omaha, Nebraska. Carrie, 37, was a devoted mother, reliable employee, and loyal friend. Not the type to shirk responsibilities, abandon her son, and run off on an adventure while her dying father took his last breath. Yet, the many texts from her phone indicated she had done just that. It appeared that Carrie had dumped her new boyfriend, quit her job, and relinquished custody of her son to her mother, all by text. While Carrie's boyfriend, Dave Krupa, and her supervisor were bewildered by her abrupt disappearance, they accepted the text at face value. Her mother, Nancy Rainey, however, was alarmed and reported Carrie missing. Police were skeptical of her claims that a cyber imposter had commanded her daughter's phone and online identity. While Nancy was afraid for Carrie, Dave Krupa was growing afraid of her, for he believed Carrie was stalking him. Never seen or heard, the stalker was aware of his every move and seemed obsessed with his casual girlfriend, Shayna Liz Goyler. after calling her a fat whore in the 12,000 emails and texts he received in a disturbing three-year deluge. How did the stalker know Dave's phone numbers immediately after he changed them, the name of his lady friends, even what he wore as he watched TV? He and Liz reported death threats, vandalism, and burglaries, but the stalker remained at large. The threats were vicious, vile, and often obscene, sent mostly via text and always in Carrie's name. There was some truth in the message, but all of them contained one big lie. The culprit was not Carrie, but had killed and planned to kill again. With mesmerizing detail and compelling narrative skill, Leslie Rule tracks every step of the heart-pounding path to long-awaited justice, from a sociopath's twisted past to the deadly deception and the high-tech forensics that condemn the killer to prison. So yes, A Tangled Web is available tomorrow. I pre-ordered this a while ago, and I'm eagerly awaiting its arrival. Leslie's spooky childhood sparked a lifelong fascination with ghosts. I swore I would never write true crime because that is my mom's genre, says Leslie. And yet, here it is. What sparked Leslie to finally follow in her mother's footsteps? Find out this fall when I interview Leslie Rule right here on It's Just a Ghost Podcast. Hello there. I just have a little add-on that I'm putting on to all of the old episodes. We have a new website address, it is it's just a ghost podcast dot com. And we also have a new email address, and that is it's just a ghost podcast at yahoo dot com. So if you heard a different email or website address in this episode, please ignore that and use the new one. Again, the email is It's Just a Ghost Podcast at Yahoo.com and the website is It's Just a Ghost podcast.com. Thank you so much. As always, please email us your paranormal experiences to It's Just a Ghost Podcast at Yahoo.com and we will read them on an upcoming episode. If you enjoy this podcast, please follow and hit the subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. You can help us grow and get our name out there by telling your friends about us, and we would be thrilled if you would leave us five stars. This helps people find us out there in the sea of podcasts. It's all free, so why not, right? You can follow us on Facebook at It's Just a Ghost Podcast and on Twitter at It's Just a Ghost 2. That's the number 2. And also on Instagram at It's Just a Ghost Podcast. Remember, ghosts are people, too. Until next time.